0: At this time, those who are young in age are invited to to head over to godly play. Uh, they they are going that way, far off into the yonder. We will uh, give it a few moments for life to settle. As you are remaining, I would invite you to join me in a script in your scriptures uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to be reading a very familiar portion of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, with each having six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots of the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the whole house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar by a pair of thongs. And the seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now, that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank be to God. In Celtic spirituality, they talk about thin places in the world, pl- places where the boundary between heaven and earth, between God and man, is is grown very dangerously thin. The veil is, is loose and tattered. I was thinking this week of some of those places that you might have visited, something like, like the Grand Canyon. Anybody here, show of hands, been to the Grand Canyon before? A few of you? Okay. It's an impressive sight you You stand on the precipice of that great crevasse, and there is openness and and the layers carved by thousands and thousands of years and it's this, this moment of of humbling all inspiringness I've never actually been to the Grand Canyon in Georgia they have a little grand canyon i've been to it it's not very much I mean it's kind of like a puddle, but you know it's good for Georgia. apparently there's a couple of other grand, little grand canyons scattered about. For me, my moment of of all happened, uh, I was camping right before I got married out on the Pacific coast around Mount Rainier. And way up there, next to glaciers and and above the tree line, That even though it was July, there was still snow in the ground. And at night, we would look up into the heavens and see the stars sprinkled across the sky. We we could go on a list of of raging oceans and, and other places you have been But there are these times, these thin places where you catch a glimpse of what the seraph says in Isaiah. That the whole earth is filled with God's glory. We look at the natural order and we see the very presence of God, His His handiwork and the fingerprints. I think there is this part of us as human beings that we we are questing to find that glory. And we go to the natural world, but the natural world isn't the only place. We we find that that we are our glory chasers in a lot of realms. It, it, it may be a little silly to say, but but sometimes rock concerts can get there. Like not always the the most spiritual moments, but you're there in then the rock concert, and there's the loud music and the lasers and the lights, and you feel this transcendence, this awe as you are lifted up by Boston and. No, I don't know. What's a, what's a rock? What? Yeah, a rock. On. Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. You see the giant pig flying over. I think this is what's behind us as, as we build giant facilities. I think of St. Peter's Basilica there in Rome. This Ephesus drawn up and, and carved of stone that is dedicated to the worship of God. And then when you're in one of those grand cathedrals, your eyes are lifted up and you catch a glimpse of the glory that is all around. Sometimes I wonder in our culture what we're doing with with our celebrity worship as we chase after stars and and spend so much of our time consumed with what's happening in Hollywood. It's us trying to get a hold of the glory, of the transcendence of the awe-inspiring nature. We humans are glory chasers. We are drawn to that otherness. We're drawn to those awe-inspiring moments, that, that power. And we do that because we don't have it in us. We, we know that we are lacking. And in Augustine's words, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Which is the exact place that Isaiah finds himself in chapter 6. The king, Uzziah, had died. Uzziah was a long-serving king that was good and prosperous right up until the very end. He, he went into the temple and tried to offer a sacrifice without going through the priest, and, and God was displeased and he was cast out. But for most of his reign, he was good and kind. Here, Isaiah tells us that his, his death is the marking of time. And there in the temple, Isaiah sees the full glory of God. And in a moment, you might be tempted to be jealous of what Isaiah sees. There he is surrounded by the beauty and the awe-inspiring image of God. There is the Lord on the throne and his hem of his robe is filling the temple. He is sitting there on the throne in power and majesty. Throughout this passage, there's something called the Hebrew participle. You know, we have participles in English. They're the I-N-G words. That's what every verb is in Isaiah 6. It is he, God, is sitting there active now, right now, like a movie being portrayed, active and going. He's sitting, he's, they're flying, they're covering, they're filling, they're singing. It's all happening on once. And surrounded by God, there are these angelic beings, these seraphs, and they have these wings that they're flying with and covering their faces because they cannot look on the holiness of God. We cannot look on the holiness of God. And with their other wings, they are covering their feet, their their uncleanness, because God cannot look on the face of those things that are unclean and dirty. And there, continually, day and night, they worship and cry out, Holy, holy, holy God. The earth is full of your glory. You would almost be jealous of Isaiah. Isaiah being as we are glory-chasing humans, to be in that moment, to be in that state of rapture and transcendence, to see God. But Isaiah is not to be jealous. Isaiah is to be pitied. For in that moment, he comes to the end of himself. I am undone, he says. I am lost. He is lost because there is this great difference between him and his unclean lips and the holiness of God that is on display. We have those moments from time to time where we see ourselves as we truly are. Not who you project to be, not who you want to be, not who others even think you are, but you see yourself as you really are at the temple in Delphi in, in, I guess, Delphi. There's an inscription. There's three inscriptions. They became maxims in in, in, uh, ancient philosophy. The very first one you know, it's know thyself. The the second one is nothing to excess. The third one is surety brings ruin. But but that idea of knowing yourself, it became the the foundation of much Western philosophy. Socrates or Socrates, you know, that's a relevant term now because Bill and Ted are coming back, so we can start saying that. Socrates, that was the very foundation of wisdom, to know yourself. And it's one of those things that's so easy to say. Of course, that's the beginning of wisdom. You have to know who you are before you can know anything else. But it's really, really hard to do. It's kind of like losing weight. Right? We, we all know how to lose weight. I, I was making jokes about the quarantine 15 and... the I've blown past that. I'm I'm, I'm in quarantine 30 now and and we'll we'll just keep going as long as this goes. You know, we know what to do. You you stop eating, you cut out the sugar, you don't drink alcohol. That's the one I know you Nazarene struggle with. But it's hard to do that. It's hard to do the thing that you know you used to do. And in that moment, that's where Isaiah is. He by who he is, Isaiah serving the temple, the having achieved this highest echelon of human holiness, has his life laid bare, stripped open in front of him. And all of the dead weight of his projections and his imaginations and his hopes and his dreams are nothing. It's not just him, it's his people. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah, in this moment, the light of God's glory shining upon him exposes who he is, and he is lost. But Isaiah, through all of his training, he knows what to do. He, he confesses. That is what we do when that moment comes upon us, when we see who we are, when the glory of God's transcendence shines upon us. We don't mask ourselves. We don't hide away. We confess. And there is a moment of grace. The seraph flies and grabs the the hot coal and and brings it over and touches his lips. And all at once, his sin, his guilt is gone. Isaiah is not made perfect, but he is redeemed. God is in the business of redeeming sin, of transforming the lost into the found, of cleansing the dirty, of bringing the lost home. And once that sin is handled, Isaiah is sent to work. Whom shall I send, God asks rhetorically. Isaiah is the only one in the temple, so I don't know who else he's talking to. And there is that moment when God is sending him forth, Isaiah says, send me. There's a pattern in the story. When God's overpowering, holy presence, terrifying, comes upon us, we see ourselves and when we see God, and then we confess and, and God forgives us and then He sends us out to be an emissary, a mouthpiece. That's kind of what we do here in church. We, we, we try to take this, this pattern of, of seeing the glory of God and being confronted by who we are and then being forgiven and sent out. That's what we try to do. We glory chasers when we meet face to face the glory that we were created to find god's work gets accomplished i got to be thinking this week of how easy my job would be if god would just show up like that you know if if god just just right now split the heavens open and thundered if if if, if god's glory came upon us and and built across us you know how easy my job would be to To do that? If God would pull back the curtain just a little bit, we wouldn't, we'd have to like charge admission to get in. We'd we'd fill up the place because that's what people are desiring. And yet, we're stuck with me fumbling around on the stage. We're stuck with, you know, common stale grape juice and flat plastic bread. We're stuck with The capriciousness of weather. We who desire the glory of God are met with this unglorious reality. Of course, that's what happened when Jesus came to earth. When Christ came, he left aside his glory. Or thunderous motorcycles. God, Christ set aside His holiness. He set aside His power and came to us as a poor Middle Eastern Jewish carpenter. In Jesus, God becomes this very gloryless thing. God steps into the frailty, into the brokenness, into the hiddenness of life. There were moments when Jesus was around, when His glory peeked through. There on the Mount of Olives with the disciples, there in, the, in, in His life, but most of the time, His glory was behind the veil of, of flesh and blood. So why would God call all of the glory and power on earth to reconcile us to himself and yet leave his glory behind in this moment of his fullest revelation. Well, it, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, have you ever tried to say you're sorry to someone who wasn't quite ready to forgive you? You know, you know that moment when you're kind of ready to move on and, and, and your friend or your partner isn't? That, that, you'll never guess who in my relationship is always the one ready to move on with things, right? the one that's freer to forgive, not not the cold and crusty one that holds on to grudges like, yeah, I'm going to stop there. God lays aside His glory so that we will love Him for who He is and not in our fleshly desire to have glory upon us. Jesus comes and reveals who God is. And when we see the character of who God is, We see the person of Christ. And so here is the challenge for us. Since Christ is will, we we choose to be reconciled to this love of God when we see Jesus without seeing the glory. Will we choose to find ourselves in the humbleness of Christ and set aside our quest and desires for greatness? Will we find ourselves at the foot of the cross and hear the cleansing words? Well, there's a story at the end of the Gospels. Jesus has died and rose again, and He's appearing before His disciples. And there's one who misses it. We call Him Doubting Thomas. Because in that moment, doubting Thomas is all of us. Desiring to see who God is, but confronted by the reality of who Jesus is. He reaches out and he touches the Lord. In chapter 20, Jesus says these words, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are you who believe, who who love, who serve Jesus without ever experiencing those moments when the heavens are opened up. Because one day we know the promise is there, but for now we see God in the glory of Christ, the glory of our Savior. Let us pray together. And now, Almighty God, you have promised us the glory. May we see your glory, O Lord, in Jesus Christ, in him crucified for us. And may, O Lord, in that moment we find your cleansing to make us new, to forgive us of sin, and to send us forth in your word. This we ask in the name of the living word, Jesus, our Savior.